Hey everybody, welcome to the Climbing Sycamores podcast, uh, where we look at today's topics to get a better view of Christianity. I'm Annie Beagie, and I'm joined by my friends Ben Sadler and Matt Harbach. Okay, we are on a mission to get ourselves kicked. We out. are rolling. <laughs> <laughs> All right, welcome. How you doing, everybody? Great. Another uh, another podcast. Another Here we day, go. Another podcast. I had a realization the other day. Mm-hmm. Um, so the term like gaslighting, yes, yeah. like when it re- refers, you know, to like how you treat people. So I didn't really know what that meant for the longest time. I right. feel like I only started hearing it like maybe five years ago. Right. Yeah, yeah. And someone then explained it to me, and I, I didn't really get it. And only recently I figured out what it is, and it's like. Like trying to twist the truth and like blame somebody else yes. for something. Uh huh. And I just never knew what that was, but I'm pretty sure I've been doing that my whole life. <laughs> You've been you gaslighting know, people your oh, whole life? Oh, yeah, for sure. Do you know where it comes from? Uh, it's like from a story or a movie? A or? movie, an old movie uh, about a guy who, and it's pretty, I think it's pretty common in, in abusive relationships mm-hmm. where you say conflicting things to make the other people feel like they're going crazy. Like, yes. oh no, you told me you were. You told me we were mean at five, and yes. then you knew you told them you were mean at four. Oh, you must not be. Yeah, yeah, know. yeah. Mm. That is. It's a it's insanity. a really creepy movie. It's an oh. old black and white. Oh, so, what's what's the is the movie called? Gas I might, it might it might be Gaslight. Yeah, gaslight, I don't. I have to look that up. Hmm. Google it. But hmm. I watched because I I was writing on it or something, and so I watched quite a few scenes, uh, quite a bit on there, and. Uh, yeah, it looks like a pretty good movie. I've actually. seen people fall victim to that too. Yeah. It's pretty awful. And I've heard of cases where, in an abusive relationship, they're they were being this gaslighting, and then when it was all over, the perpetrator admitted, like, "Oh yeah, I was doing that to you." Unbelievable. So they, they it's, it's intentional. Lack of conscience. Yeah. Do you think that's my future? No. I'll I'll call you out on it. Okay. Yeah, if you're if not you're admitting, unless I'm really good at it and I start <laughs> gaslighting you, sociopath, Wait, robot. I thought, I thought we were going to do the podcast tomorrow. Oh, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> you must be going crazy. It yeah. did happen to me last week. Yeah, it's it is it's a really deep dark form of control. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it comes from being a pastor's kid. Okay. Like where we just grow up very good at twisting the truth around, ah, because what, you, you have like the Bible on your side, so you can like throw in like kind the of devil, inappropriate, wow. <laughs> like Satan in the oh in the wilderness, oh. where he's using the passage to kind get of behind like, me, Satan. Yeah. Yes, have half truth. Yeah, that's what happens when you're when you're a minister's child. Mm. Well, I have three of those. Thank you. Is there anything I should be looking out for? <laughs> yeah, I just I just warned you. So okay, all right, Matt, you're a special breed. Thank you. Annie, what do you want to talk about? Yeah, so I want to talk about uh, the question, can men and women be friends? Mm-hmm. Really good friends. No, next question. <laughs> and I, No, I disagree with that. So why do you bring it up? Um, well, you know, I, I'm, you know, in the music industry here locally and, um, you know, it's, it's, it's men dominated and, and whatnot. And um, so I, I have a lot of, relationships of varying degrees with a lot of men Mm -hmm. um and somebody posted something uh, on facebook the other day and and it was basically to the effect of 
you do realize that men and women can be friends without having having sex, basically, mm-hmm. right? Like this this is mm. a thing. And it just got me thinking, like, yeah, totally, because I'm doing it. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And again, I've got you know varying levels of of friendship and you know people so my you know my my best friend uh mike we do a lot of work together mm-hmm. and people you know give us crap sometimes mm-hmm. and um and i'm like well you can say what you want but there's nothing going on so i don't care mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah i think we were talking a little bit before the podcast you know we have examples of you know jesus ministry it's in the beginning of luke 8 was funded by at least you mentioned three women um, Mary Magdalene, um, and then Susa and Joanna. Susanna. Yeah. Susanna. That they were, um, you know, wealthy. Um, Joanna, I think was a member of Herod's household, you know, uh, taking care of, of Herod's household. So they were well off and they were funding Jesus ministry so that he could go around teaching and uh, leading his disciples. So he definitely had close relationships. He talks about that friendship with, uh, Mary and Martha going to their house, uh, which is, I think, kind of radical in um, in ancient Middle Eastern culture that that was not uh, part of the culture. Mm-hmm. I think it is cultural, though, because you, you look at different places in the world and it's, it's not okay. Um, what do you think, Matt? Well, he's already stated. He's that. already stated. <laughs> yep. I, I think um, that the, que- like the question, I mean, the question seems like so easy. Like, can men and women be friends? Oh, yeah. But I've heard the question asked a lot of times. So why do we keep asking? Well, because people talk, you know, and, and so it's like, you know, again, as I mentioned, you know, I people give Mike and I the business all the time, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm like, well. So why do they talk? Because if it's they, so obviously Well, because okay. they've been, they, you know, there's, I think there's something societal or something that we're like we 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 automatically assume that you know if a man and a woman are Mm -hmm. spending a lot of time together because we're working well and Mm -hmm. we're friends too and our you know our families have holiday dinners together like Mm -hmm. ever you know um i think that people automatically have this kind of assumption like their minds just like go there you know and i'm like well that's not my problem your mind is going there right i I think where I've seen it be dangerous is you're starting to share the most intimate parts of your life, like your deepest emotions, your deepest feelings, your, and you're like relying on that person, especially if you're married. Um, I think that's where I've seen it go sideways where, and then you start hiding things from your own spouse where you're not that as vulnerable um, because you can, I mean, even without getting physically intimate, I mean, I, I think, emotionally, mm-hmm. you can really connect at a deep level. And I've known uh, called workers and people in ministry who've had either step back from ministry or leave a certain place, not because they got physically entangled, but they were so emotionally invested in somebody else that wasn't their spouse. So I think that can be a tension to be balanced. Um, it's not just a physical. Uh, if it's driving your, you know, if if it's causing a problem with your spouse, I think that's a warning mm-hmm. too. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we talked about this before too. Does it have anything to do with the hypersexualization of our culture that everything revolves we talked, around it? Right. We've yeah. talked about the hookup culture where now it's, it's, there's so much casual sex going on that you, you first hook up and then you date. Uh, and so people think, well, obviously 
they're hooking up because that's just what we do in our culture Mm -hmm. without having any kind of real friendships so but you get you get just as much of that you know oh was there something going on between you guys you get as much of that from like conservative christian people who don't necessarily assume you're hooking up either yeah who just assume oh you two are together you must be something yeah Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i think it's possible i i think you have a personality that we were talking about about this where you know you have that woo in the top the strength finders where you can connect with lots of people right and and uh you're just a friend you have a a large capacity for friendships and some people don't some people have a a smaller capacity and uh, then they go deep with a few people my wife's more like that too where she's got that relator where she would rather go deeper with a handful or one or two fr- good friends than have you know 15 20 right <laughs> right and i so i think that that also personality is part of it i, I was telling you also before um for the podcast that the apostle paul when he's setting up churches and he's telling timothy his young pastor that he's mentoring and training he tells him how to act around um around different people and he talks about it kind of like a family he says uh do not rebuke an older man harshly but extort him uh treat younger men as brothers so have that connection older women as mothers much older women we were talking please, about please <laughs> yes let's not get crazy and younger here. women as sisters with absolute purity so i think he's already kind of laying out like hey when we're a family of believers and we're spending a lot of time together as friends uh you know draw those boundaries or at least have that you know, that 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 connection that you're more of a familial mm-hmm. relationship mm-hmm. than a sexual mm-hmm. kind of intimate relationship. So I think that's good. But advice. I think you can, you know, much like with a sibling. I'm an only child. I d- I don't know. I guess, but I'm assuming, <laughs> I'm assuming, you know, you can, you know, whether it's whether it's uh, you know a same sex sibling or or opposite. Yeah. Like I think you you can probably have really deep meaningful conversations where you're mm-hmm. sharing some of your struggles and sure. your you know, whatever's and, and it's not weird. It's just much like, you know, like right. I consider my friend, like my brother, right. The brother I never wanted. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that if you can have that line that like, yeah, this mm-hmm. is, we're like family. Mm-hmm. That's different than, I guess what I mean by sharing intimate, like, would you also be sharing that with your spouse? Right, like, right. Are there things that you you would share with this other friend that you wouldn't share with right, your spouse. Right. I think that's or are you when hiding it, stuff. Hiding like, yeah, stuff. Yeah. Right, right. That's where it can get dangerous. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think, I think the answer is, I think the, so the, the answer to the question, can men and women be friends? I think the the answer is yes, but it's not, it's, um it's not as an, uh, it's not such an obvious yes as, as you think so. And I think you just have to be—you just have to approach with caution sometimes, because I'm—I'm the same way as as Emily, where like I don't—I don't—I—I I prefer to just be with like one or two people, mm-hmm. and so I, I've spent a lot of time with just one person, you know, in mm-hmm. a in a situation with just one person, and if that person happens to be of the opposite gender, mm-hmm. um. I, I sometimes you can cause problems for yourself or for that person. Right. And I've been in that situation too. Well, there's where, expectations. Where yeah, I mean and and you might not be romantically in, in, interested in that person, but now there's sort of 
you sort of like have claimed a best friend mm-hmm. and and you're not going to like if they go and get themselves a romantic partner mm-hmm. and they might not like if you do the same mm-hmm. neither of you could be you know dating Mm-hmm. But you've 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 gotten a little possessive just because of the sheer amount of time you've spent together, yeah. and so I, you know it's it's just you have to be careful, and you do, you don't always you don't always get to just reason yourself out and be like, well, we're not dating, so it's fine, right? Mm-hmm. We can mm-hmm. spend as we can pretty much do anything because there's no chance we're going to date. Yeah. There's no chance that we're that we're you know you can still cause problems. I I just think about all the scandals that have come out from pastor so i was thinking about, like through my own lens i don't know how healthy that would be for me to have a really close friend that's a female that i'm sharing deep personal information with um and i you know just i just don't want to go there uh i have lots of friends you're my friend annie you know mm-hmm. like so you know that you have lots of friends but I really do put up some boundaries. I think with with both genders, just the line of work I'm in, to not be overly vulnerable in all the ways that I would be with my own wife. Mm-hmm. Um, I I don't know if that's more of a pastor thing or if it's I just I've too many horror stories of, uh, and I think a lot of times what I've seen is if you don't have a healthy relationship at home, mm-hmm. that you're not communicating at home, something's missing at home, and you're looking mm-hmm. for this person to fulfill something that you're not getting at home, that can also be dangerous. So uh, I think there's, yeah, tensions there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But especially in the music industry, I mean, in, in any kind of line of work, you're probably going to be working with people of the opposite sex, and you mm-hmm. have to be able to do that. Now, there was... There was the Billy Graham rule. I don't know if you've ever heard of this, but I have not. Billy Graham was you know this evangelist that would fill up stadiums um, back in the 1960s, and he's preached to more people than any other preacher in the history, supposedly history of the world. He died, uh, I don't know, four or five years ago, maybe. Mm. And uh, so Billy Graham is kind of the the first televangelist, that kind of thing, and and he saw so many well-known pastors and leaders and speakers fall into um, sexual relationships that would ruin their marriage and tarnish the ministry, that he had the Billy Graham rule where he wouldn't go in an elevator alone with a woman. Mm. He wouldn't have a meal alone with a woman. Um, he So he really tried, and those are just the boundaries. He didn't want to give anybody uh, the suspicion. Um, so yeah, maybe it's just, you got to know yourself. Know yourself, like, I think. Yeah, yeah. right, right. Right. How how long have you guys been friends? How long have you know each Mike other? Mike and I have been friends for seventeen years. Yeah. Without any funny business. Yeah. Zero funny business. Right. And we have. I stood up in his wedding. Right. Um, you know, like I, I, you know, he, I knew him before I knew Dave, and yeah, you know, so Dave and I started dating, got married, and you know, and then he married, and we've had kids, and yeah, like I said, we have holiday, you know, Christmas dinner together, yeah, you know, with him and his family, and so. I yeah I it it doesn't bother me when people say things or like because right. sometimes I think it's half joking like they kind of know yeah. yeah um it doesn't bother me because there's nothing going right. on right. <laughs> you know I'm like well especially if you had that long history where it is this is just part of my family right, right. and and uh, I wish there was m- I I think there is in our culture a huge lack of just friendships that you can't have mm-hmm. non sexual, mm-hmm. real, in-person, 
in the flesh. Let's have some fun and mm-hmm. hang out together. Mm-hmm. And maybe because there's such a lack of that, people run to the intimate, illicit relationships. Mm. I, I don't know what it is, but it just, I wonder if we if we had more deep, long relationships that, that were just friendships, if that would fulfill a, a... You talk about one of the signs of somebody kind of really struggling with, with mental disorder or mental health is a lack of friendship. Isolation, it, yeah. Isolation, so, yeah. Yeah, there's tension on both sides. I'm not going to say stop, that's for sure. But I think there's warnings out there. There's pitfalls. Yeah. Yeah. I think I think a big key is like you kind of have to just take the you have to think about what the other person cuz like I said I overshare a lot. We get that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so for me I my me I overshare because I you know, I'll just talk about whatever I'm thinking about. Right. But for somebody no else Exactly. For somebody else that 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 could mean more like, oh, they're opening up to me. Mm-hmm. They're, you know, oh, I see yeah. a level of intimacy here that they're giving me that, that that's important that they're obviously trying to build a connection and, and maybe I'm not, maybe I'm just blaring, yeah. but I, but that's on me. I have to, you have to keep that in mind just because I want to say something or I want to do something doesn't give you the license to do that. You have to keep the other person's emotions, mm-hmm. you know, having that emotional intelligence, you can read what they're, yeah. yeah. I think too, you know, after 17 years, you probably have some unwritten rules of boundaries that you have, right? That that you both know, you won't even know what they are necessarily, you but you have them if you are just starting out and you have a really good friendship, um you know, you might need to everyone's will say, "Oh, that was too far," or, you know, "Hey, watch out for that." If if you don't have those if you're both not agreeing on what the boundaries are and mm-hmm. when it goes too far. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Cause I have, I've seen people who have started out as friends and then they, they left their spouse, mm. you know, so that there are, you do you no have, danger here with yeah. that. <laughs> That's good. Absolutely not. <laughs> That's good. Yeah. Ew. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think, is it a fam- does it feel like family or does it feel different than that? I think that's one of the big keys. And right. Paul brings out when he's writing to Timothy. That's cool. good. Anything else on that? I don't think so. I think the one thing I want to talk about today is why is the Bible so hard to read? You know, we talk about read your Bible. You're a Christian. You know, you, you believe in the Bible. Read the Bible, but then you actually sit down to read it. And or you have a family devotion. We were, I was reading the Bible last night with our family, and it just you know struck me. The more I know about the Bible, the more complicated I know it actually is, mm. and the less it's easy just to pick out a verse and just go with it. So I thought um, I had a couple reasons why I thought the Bible is such a hard book to read, and then I wanted to finish out with, but why you should still read it, and how could how could you help? How could help? So, do you guys have any thoughts on that? Like, what are some of the hardest challenges with reading the Bible? The lineage. Okay, <laughs> so when you get into the genealogies and yes, things like that, yes. okay. I think it's I think it's super hard because, like, when you sit in church and the pastor has a message and he's just throwing out verse after verse, and you're like, wow, that was really good. Like that all all those verses from different parts of the Bible working together, yeah, um, and and strengthening that message, whatever it is. And then you sit down and you read, and you're like, I'm, I got what? I don't get it. I don't get anything from this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just it's just you know it's it's a lot of it's just repetitive, and you're like. 
okay, okay, right? You know, but you don't. There's not like there's not necessarily like a shape. You don't know what you're looking for, right? Until you find it, yeah. And it's hard to read something if you don't know kind of what the point is. Yeah, okay. You know, there's Very not good. like a through line that's driving you through a chapter. It's just like right. I'm reading a chapter and right. we'll see what I get out of it. That's really good. Cool. So it's hard to hard to know what, what the author's getting at and what you're supposed to get out of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, genealogies. And anything? I get why that's important. I mean, that's, right. you know, for documentation. Like I get, I yeah. get it, yeah. but I'm also like, oh no. Yeah, here we go. There's a, <laughs> here we go. Yeah. Already Genesis five, like the fifth page of the Bible, you have, uh, you know, three pages of genealogies, and Oof. and actually the whole book of Genesis is kind of structured around genealogies, and they love to, you know, then you get to numbers and counting out all the people. So, okay, the here's some of the ones that I wrote down. Um, one thing is it's ancient and foreign, mm-hmm. so it's not just from a long time ago, but it's from a long time ago. In a land far, far away, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and so uh, if we would travel right now to another culture, I remember we were in uh, Ecuador, oh no, Dominican Republic, and somebody in our group had their shoes. Like we were on a long day, we walked all day long, and they took their shoes off in the bus, and the people around like. You don't expose your feet. You know, you don't do that in public like this. And it was just, they were totally clueless on that. And and so, there's so many things. If we just go to another, we go down the street, there's different cultures in the United States, but then you go across the country and there's things that we totally don't understand why they do what they do. So you have that, that that's a different culture right there. Uh, I heard one person say like, even the way you organize your grocery store. Like we organize things. We put the marshmallows by the chocolate because mm-hmm. we know those things go together. Mm-hmm. But you go to another grocery store, another culture, like they put things together and you think, why do those things go together? Mm. So you have you have foreign, but then ancient. You know, there's things that we did 100 years ago in our own country that we're like, why did we do that? Now we're talking 2,000, 3,000, 4,000 years ago, mm. uh, you know, sacrifices and and their interaction with the other pagan so many of the rituals in the bible are playing off of the pagan cultures that were that were around them they're similar but then different so if you don't know those other cultures you don't know really what they're responding to so ancient and, and foreign it's long we got 66 books uh, 39 in the Old Testament, 27 in the New Testament. So it's a long, thick book. We're not used to reading long, thick books. There's different genres. You have poetry and history and prose. Um, also, we bring our own interpretation into it. You know, if you grew up a Lutheran, you might hear a certain part of the Bible like, that can't be in the Bible. That's not what Martin Luther said, <laughs> you know, or that's not what our German uh, Lutheran culture says. Uh, you know, or somebody else might grow up in a Pentecostal church and you hear something like, no, that can't be in the Bible. That's not what my theology says. So sometimes the Bible contradicts our own traditions, our own theologies that we come into. But the one thing that I really wanted to talk about was I don't think we understand that the Bible is a persuasive document, that every book was written to persuade a certain audience. And so every book is trying to build an argument and I mean, this is kind of what you were getting at, Matt. Like, if we don't know what they're getting at and they're driving at and who they're trying to co- correct or convince, uh, just to grab a verse out of the Bible, 
it it doesn't make any sense. Hmm. So I think the best sermons are the ones that can connect, like, what is this author trying to persuade the audience to do? What do I want to persuade the audience to do? And where do we kind of come together on that? So, you know, so for example, the book of Mark begins with, this is the beginning of the gospel of Jesus, the Messiah. So he's trying to build a persuasive argument that Jesus is actually the Messiah. And so he puts things together and clumps things together uh, to persuade people to believe that he's actually the Messiah. So there's a group of miracles. Some people believe him and they don't believe him. And then you follow up with some parables of the different soils that show that there's different responses to Jesus. So if you just were to read a verse or a chapter in that and you don't see the whole logic of the book, it's even more confusing. So I don't know. What do you guys think about that? This idea that the Bible is a persuasive document that was persuading a certain group of people, and and do we always see that, or is that important to understand? What do you guys think? Take it away, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, like if I read the if I read the Book of Psalms, for example. Yes. I don't. I don't. I don't know. <laughs> that that's just like it's just just these repetitive repetitive right. verses the whole way through. It's like you could have you could have skimmed this down to like three verses a chapter, be done yeah. in about an hour. That's a great example. So like you have this collection of prayers or songs, and it looks like it could just be a book, but even like if in our hymnals, our hymnals are organized according to different <laughs> <laughs> a song book of some sort are usually grouped <laughs> usually grouped. Uh, in in some kind of order, right, to kind of connect different things, and we don't we don't usually read the whole book of Psalms in order. But when you actually look at it, somebody organized that. We don't necessarily know who did, but it's actually organized in five books. And when you read them straight through, they actually kind of follow the history of Israel and and from God being with the the patriarchs and the and the and the monarchs, the kings, to exile, to the confusion of exile to the restoration process. And at the same time, it goes from lamenting. There's lots of laments and, um, and, and crying out to God in the beginning. And at the end of the book of Psalms, there's a lot of praise. And so it's supposed to help you follow the journey of faith from lamenting to praise. But if you don't see that, you're right. It seems repetitive. It seems, um, it doesn't seem organized. It seems scattered. And I found the most helpful, like when you can step back. So one of the tools that I use a lot is I, I use a lot from the Bible Project. I thought they've done a good job of, of showing in video form the structure of each book and the persuasive argument that's trying to be made in each book. And I feel like if you can watch those before you start or even read a section like, okay, where am I in this book? I got to look at the whole structure first, but you got to take the time to do that. Are those the guys who do the draw, like the drawings? Yep. Yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. I found that helpful when I attempted to read the Bible. <laughs> yeah. So I think that's really important. But yeah, the book of Psalms is a good example. Now, I think out of all the books of the Bible, the Psalms is probably the one book, the Psalms and maybe Proverbs, a book you could pick up and you could read in isolation, even without the context, and still get something out of Psalm 23. Even if you don't know that where this is found in it, what's the persuasion, what's the persuasive argument that Psalm, the Psalms is making, you could read Psalm 23 and still find that to be very beautiful poetry. Um, the same thing with Proverbs, like, oh, that's good advice, no matter, you know, I don't understand that this is a father speaking to a son, and Solomon's trying to help out a son 
to do better than he did and learn from his wayward ways. If I don't necessarily need to know all of that, I can still get some good advice out of the book of Proverbs. So anything else on the problems of reading the Bible? I find, you know, a lot of times we'll, we'll read other devotional books or listen to a podcast or a sermon that kind of helps put things in context and get to the application right away because that's a lot easier than doing the work ourselves to digging into to this. But I think there are some good ways to start. If, you, if you're saying, I want to start reading the Bible, I would suggest maybe start in the Psalms. Read a couple different Psalms because they are it really is beautiful poetry or the Proverbs. Um, read maybe uh, the Gospels, the biography of Jesus, and realize that there is a mounting argument here. These... the it's not just video camera footage of the life of Jesus. Things are put together, and there's four different biographies of Jesus. They're organized in such a way to meet a different audience. They're written to four different audiences, But so read the biographies of Jesus. Use the tools. Use, use the Bible project. Um, here's a, I have a study Bible in front of me, You know, a Bible that might have some notes in the bottom uh, that could kind of give you some quick uh, explanation when you're like, what in the world does that mean? Um, expect confusion, expect that you're not going to get it, expect that it's like walking into a, you know, a grocery store from another nationality or culture where you're not going to understand why these things go together. And then, uh, expect dry seasons. I think that's another thing, like expect dry seasons in your faith where I've gone through those spells where I'm like, oh man, I just, I don't really feel a deep connection with God right now. The Bible's not really speaking to me right now. I don't know if this is all working out. Expect those because uh, we all go through them. It's kind of the natural process of your faith. You're going to go through different seasons. And then finally, don't give up. Uh, go back. Try it again. And um, and just like, you know, a lot of times when you eat food, you don't really know what nutrients you got the day before, but you're glad you ate something. And that's kind of like reading the Bible. Like You don't know exactly what you got out of it, and you don't remember all of it, but you're glad you went there and got got fed. So, yeah. What do you guys think about that? Anything that you want to comment on or any do anything you want to add or or second on some of those those points? I, I think that's really good. I think it is just an over it can be an overwhelming yes. undertaking. And it, it is overwhelming. And I think to look at this, this is a lifelong journey. And I remember when I was in college and I heard that they're gonna have two chapels a day. And I thought, how are they going to have enough stuff to talk about, to have two chapels a day where they're going to talk about the Bible twice a day to us? But you recognize, like, the Bible is so deep. It's so complex. There's so much in their history and and our own psychology and, and all those things that you'll never run out. You'll never get to the bottom of it. Uh, so I think that you yeah, look at it as a, as a marathon, a lifelong process. What do you think, Matt? Oh, that's that's good to hear because yeah, it's it's hard. You think it you think it'd be easier. It's not. It's right. not. It's hard. <laughs> it's it's a really b- bizarre, strange, hard book. Well, and that's why I love it when people, you know, uh, you know, when I have discussions with people about you know Christianity or whatever. Well, I've read the Bible. You know, you know, and, and this these are no, you, know, you haven't. Right? These are people. <laughs> and listen, maybe they have. Oh, I've read right. the Bible cover to cover. Oh, okay. You know, I'm like. Truth be told, I haven't. Right. You know, and yeah. So I just I, I think it's funny when people who are not, uh, you know, who are maybe atheists or whatever, that they well, I've read the Bible cover to cover, and that's yeah. their, you know, I did my study, I did my, yeah. I did my due diligence, you know. 
it feels sometimes it feels a little silly that I had eight years of education reading this book. You know, like I should be like performing surgery or something more <laughs> more complicated than reading a book. But that's what it is. It's that complicated that you can go through eight years of theology and and study and still feel like a total newbie when it comes to reading your Bible and and understanding it and applying it. So uh, maybe it's not such a silly thing, but it, if anyone thinks, yeah, there, it's it's easy, or I've done it, or I figured it out, like, good for you, man, because I have not, and and put in quite a bit of time on this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Maybe I should pick it up again. Yeah. <laughs> I like uh, maybe one plug time. here right now. I, I mean, if if somebody wants to join in our group, we are every year we read through the Bible using the the uh, YouVersion Bible app, which I really like. And uh, this year, we've just gone through the New Testament instead of reading through uh, the whole Bible in a year. And we're right on the book of Mark right now. It's been really a good study, the way this is set up. We read a psalm on the weekends and then uh, read through the New Testament during the week. And it's about a chapter a day, about a page a day. And so if you're interested in joining us, uh, email I, our emails on my emails on the, uh, the show notes uh, in the podcast and happy to have you kind of join our group. And I make a comment on the, on the bio reading every day to try to help people walk through it. And uh, that's been a lot of fun just to daily read a little bit together as a group and use those tools. So, all right, cool. That's all I have to say about that. Awesome. What do you think, Matt? What's your, what would what you, what's on your mind? Uh, so um, it looks like um, this coming semester, I'm going to start teaching part-time. Yeah. Um, and so I've been thinking a lot. Um, what what is a what is the job of a teacher really? What is not the job of a teacher? What makes mm-hmm. a good teacher? What makes a bad teacher? All that kind of stuff. So, yeah, I guess good thoughts to start out on are what 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 makes a bad teacher? Let's just start there. I I already you said what makes a good teacher. I already thought about. Could I tell you what? A, oh what yeah, a good, all right. Let's mm-hmm. do good instead. Uh, okay, good. all right. It's kind of like we were talking about movies the other day. Has, is there a good movie, Matt? You know, like, <laughs> no, but I can tell you a lot of bad movies. There's a my favorite teacher, fifth grade, Mrs. Hansen. She was amazing. I went to Summers uh, Public Elementary School, and what I loved about her is she was okay leaving the classroom. Um, kind of like she was like the Robin Williams from uh, Dead Poet Society. Like to get out, we would. We were going to write poetry, so she took us out in this like nature center that we had, on, and we you had to sit by yourself in the cold, in the snow, and you had to hear everything, listen to everything, and try to f- then, then come in. She made hot chocolate, and then we were to write poetry based on that experience. So she wanted us to really experience learning and uh, a hands-on approach, and she was okay leaving the textbook aside and having us live it. So mm-hmm. I thought that was really really good and it was and you could tell she cared about us i think that makes a good teacher not somebody who's just punching in but actually is trying to develop the students that are in front of them on that note too kind of meeting the kids where they are because there are there's such a wide range of Mm -hmm. personalities and abilities and so kind of not uh putting everybody into the same you know and i know that's hard probably um to go you know outside of like a cookie cutter type thing but i think meeting the kids where they are and not trying to control right everything yeah you know i think those teach first of all being a teacher is a hard job uh-huh. my wife's a teacher and and i 
I think you have to have the gift where you want to see people grow and you want and you get really excited. She says, my favorite part of teaching is watching the light bulb go on, mm. is when they seen a kid do something on their own for the first time. And you have to really, I think, enjoy that to and to really be about the kids, not about you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Bad teachers, I think just the opposite of all those things. You know, the ones who are just plowing through the textbook yep. because they want to get through their own stuff. Uh, they don't connect with the students at a deeper level. They don't know them. And then um, they have low standards. You know, if they don't, if a kid doesn't get anywhere, well, we'll push into the next teacher. They'll have to figure it out. But I, I had some, I had one teacher. I don't know if she'd ever listen to this. High school, Mrs. Schultz. She was tough. You just called her out. Yeah. Wow. But she, I, I really liked her. And I appreciate her. She was, she cared so much, but she would take no garbage from anybody. And at really high standards. And you knew she really cared, but it was, she could have also been a drill sergeant. And I think she would have been just, maybe she was in a pre, <laughs> before she was a teacher, but she was, she was really good. And so thank you, Mrs. Schultz. This is going to get back to her, dude. Yeah, I, I hope think. so. I don't know. I, I, I thank her. People know who she, you are, That's but... all right. I said, but it it was interesting because it was a very different personality. So I, you know, I think you can have a wide range of personalities uh, as long as you care about the kids. Okay. So what are you going to do to be a, a good teacher, not a crappy one? I'm not going to be a good teacher. <laughs> well, I I've I've kind of in my head I put it into like three things. Yeah. That just from teachers I've had, and. Um, I think one is teachers that are really crazy passionate about the subject they're teaching. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's good. That helps, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's good. Those teachers are not always necessarily good at communicating, though. Yeah. Sometimes you get lost, especially like science teachers. Yeah. And they can't always break things down for dummies like, like the rest of yeah. us. <laughs> um, but you need that because if the teacher's not excited, the kids will never get excited. Right. And also, if there's a student that's particularly gifted, you need that teacher who's going to really know their stuff to help that kid along if they want to, you know, really dive deep into something. Mm -hmm. Some teachers are like just generally great communicators, great presenters. These are teachers that are very organized. Um, They're good at just laying out information. They have very clear rubrics. They're on top of everything and the expectations are very clear. So you always feel like you're sort of, you always feel like you're, you're kind of safe on the ship, so to speak, with them. And then you have teachers that um, just are mentors or who really care about the students. Yeah. Um, and they could care less about the subject they're teaching. They just want to help the kids along. Mm-hmm. And I like any good teacher has one of these. Yeah. You know, I would say any average teacher has one of them and a good teacher has two and a great teacher is all three. I've had some teachers that are none. Yeah. That's right. mm. I think we've all had some teachers that yeah. are none. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I would hope that I can do all three of those things. And you're teaching film and yeah. video, video videography or yeah. whatever? Yeah. So what? how are you going to connect with the kids and help them grow? And what, what, what's gonna your idea? You're going to hit three. You got to hit yeah. all three. Let's hear to three. hit all three. All Jeez. three, Matt. First year, first time. All three. <laughs> I'm not. I'm just going to give them a textbook and just like, read the next chapter for tomorrow. <laughs> Don't even know what the book's on. Plus, I think that there's just so much information available on the internet and things like that that the the role of the teacher has probably changed. Yeah, 
you know, over the yeah. the last 20, 30, whatever, however many years. And so I think that's where the, the presentation itself becomes really, really vital because anybody could kind of yeah. go online and. Yeah. I mean, if you can get them passionate about it, they could probably take it to the next level on their own. I would think that would be the most important thing. If, if you could find the kids who are really you, an awakened, I mean, if there are some kids who want to be in digital videography or whatever they want to do, and you can find those kids and really kind of give them a new desire to learn more, uh, they can find a, probably a lot of information on their own. Uh, so you give them the experience. You want to do a lot of hands-on stuff, you've said before, right? You, yeah. And that, I, that, to me, that's the only way to learn anything. Yeah. Particularly this type of stuff. Yes. Right. You know. Yes. Because all, I mean, all the information is is on Google and YouTube. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my my dad, he's had a lot of different jobs. He's retired now, but in the last, I don't know, 10, 15 years, he worked as a crane instructor. Never, he never really worked with a crane before, but he, he got this job and he. I think he was a great instructor because he would get them up in the crane as fast as he could and get them, you know, he's like, I could lecture all day about these different, here are the different safety tips. This is what you need to know, but let's get up and get you working. And I think that's what made him. And I don't know why we don't do that for almost everything. I wish, you know, you learn so much as you try things out and that just, yeah, maybe just how we, our whole education system, it's about getting through the content, being in a classroom, being in a desk. Uh, but does that, is that really how we learn anything from our parents or really learn anything? You got to. Well, I think some of the problem with that is it's probably has to do with funding, right? To sure. like how many students can you push through, particularly in the public school system? Sure. Um, you know, there's funding related to that. And so there is kind of this. And then test scores. Test scores. Yeah. So there's this kind of urgency to get you know, push the kids through, Yeah. yeah. which I, okay. I don't have a better solution. I just think it's a problem. Yep. Yep. <laughs> but. So, so to get maybe a little bit deeper then what, what is a teacher's job? What is not a teacher's job? Cause I, I would say the best way for the state to regulate anything is that you can't, you can't mandate how people parent, right? You just have to go to public school. So if we want everyone to know this, it has to be taught in school. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that that can be controlling. Yeah. But but it also may not it also may not be very effective because who says the kids trust the teacher, who says the teacher cares. Right. So I, what is a teacher's job, what is not a teacher's job? Yeah. I I think with the breakdown of the family, mm. teachers feel obligated and I think the state sometimes feels obligated to teach more or even push an agenda sometimes. Mm-hmm. Where I think, uh, w- when you do have more of a stable, stable family, um, the kids are getting so much at home and attention and guidance that the teacher's role is more curating information, um, guiding them, but you're not you're not necessarily teaching them what it means to be a human being as much and the the morality, especially in the public school. I just I, I wouldn't really want them teaching everything that it takes to be a, a moral human being because there's going to be so many different ideas on what that means. Uh, but unfortunately, I think when there, when, if there is a breakdown in the fa- family life, you know, the, the, the teachers are doing so much. But I think we found that there's no amount of funding and there's no amount of, of, of 
capacity for a teacher to actually make up for a, for a family. A family is still the best way to learn and grow. Um, so I, th- I think it depends on the context. I know there's some teachers in our in our circles who are are in really tough neighborhoods, and they give the kids their cell phone number, and they'll mm-hmm. call them up and they'll go pick them up for mm-hmm. school and activities. And the teachers do take on almost a parenting role, and they do that because they love those kids. A lot of them burn out uh, because how can you be a parent to twenty some kids? Um, and then, and there's other other situations where you, you, a teacher doesn't have to take on that more parenting role, and it's just trying to get the kids to grow as much as they can intellectually before they they send them off. Plus, I think looking for um, warning signs. You know, I don't know how much of a problem you're gonna. I mean, I, problems happen everywhere. Yeah, but kind of looking for warning signs of, you know, abuse or you oh, know yeah. things like that, or maybe being a resource to the kids. Um, you know, having kind of that open communication and yeah. um, finding them help if they, you know. I heard one teacher talk about it like an assembly line. Like you're going you're gonna to get these batch of students, you pour into them as much as you can, and then there's going to be a new batch that comes through the next year. So you will have an impact. Uh, it'll probably be on a, a handful or a couple that you'll really be able to, to pour into more. Um, but you're just one piece in their journey. Yeah, I, I unfortunately I think yes, yeah, some teachers maybe uh, gravitate to the gifted students or the ones who are excelling, and they pour into them, and what, and that that makes sense. But don't leave the students behind that that want to be there, but they don't. They they need more help. They need more attention. So that that is a challenge. Well, and the good news for you too is this is an elective class. Yeah. So the kids that actually are, want to be there. yeah, they actually want to be there. Like they they chose this class, so it's not like your basic old, you know, got to sit through biology because I have to. <laughs> Couldn't we come in and supervise and like sit in the <gasps> oh, back? I you guys, guys want to be subs? <laughs> no, I don't want to be sub. I just oh. want to like laugh at you, point and laugh yeah. from the back of the room. Excuse me, Excuse me. Mr. Harbaugh. Mr. Harbaugh. Okay. okay, so the answer is yes, you can, but you have to wear a tie, both of you. <laughs> oh, I love ties. Okay. You have to wear a tie. <laughs> Great. Deal. It's a good school, I think. You know, So I think you're going to be in a good situation. It seems like you've gotten a lot of support already and encouragement. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't have any teaching background whatsoever. Don't have a degree. Don't have a state license. Have no student teaching. So You're, you're going to be great. I know, right? <laughs> I don't need that stuff. That's what it is. Oh, yeah. You're, you're not so indoctrinated. Good. You're just natural. <laughs> a natural. It'll be good. I, I think you're going to do a good job. And you're yeah. teaching a very specific thing that you're qualified to and teach. And you're good in. at and you enjoy it. Yeah. Yeah, I hope so. So bring the passion like you yeah. do. Like you always bring passion oh, to everything you do. bring energy to Look everything. Look at him. Look at him go. <laughs> Channel your inner robot, right? Oh, man. <laughs> That's right. All right, I I don't I don't know. I just wanted to get some thoughts there, and you guys, I don't uh, from you guys. I don't, if you guys have anything else to say, I don't. I'll pay you to kind of uh, give me inside information on my daughter that's there. How's that? Yeah. Okay. Sure. It's good to have some I, more eyes on the ground. I'm not going to teach that many classes, so I could, you know, I can just put on like a backpack and a baseball cap. That's right. Pretend to be a student, just yeah. follow her around. That sounds good. Thank you. <laughs> that's not creepy. <laughs> All right. That's I'm good. You good? Good. All right, Adios. we'll be right Ciao. back after these messages. Drop, drop, drop. 
If you'd like to get a hold of us here at the Climbing Sycamores podcast, feel free to email bsadler at victoryofthelamb.com. B-S-A-D-L-E-R at victoryofthelamb.com. If you like today's intro music, it's been brought to you by Andrew Lynch's song, My Name, Hello. Hello.